Welcome to the Focus Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that it inspires you and gives you a fresh perspective. Enjoy the sermon. Last week, we talked about how the devil cannot steal my peace. He cannot steal my thoughts. He cannot steal my strength. And he cannot steal my day. Why can he not steal my day? Because this is the day the Lord has made. Come on. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. To God be the glory. I am so glad that you came to church today as we continue in our exploration of the enemy. It's important to know the enemy's tactics. You want to know why? So that you can get a sense of when the snake, the serpent, is coming against your life. Last week, we labeled him as thief, even though he's not a very good one. This week, we label him as serpent, snake, in a sermon that I've titled, Sever the Head sever the head. If you have a copy of God's Word, Genesis chapter 3, where it all began, on the very far left-hand side of your Bible, in the Old Testament, we have the story of creation followed by the story of when the man and woman sinned for the first time, and we are people of the Word. So you will find us on a deep exploration today of all of the enemy's tactics, seven things that I believe the enemy tries to get us to worship, and we will be all over the scriptures today. So if you brought your Bible, hope you can get a little speed on your turning page, turning thumb. If you didn't, it will be on the screen. And I pray for the person who's running my slides today, whoever you are. Thank you so much for my ADD sermon writing and your ability to bring such clarity to such confusion up here. Genesis chapter 3. I love God's word. Do you love God's word? It never changes. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains the same. Uh, there is no term limits on the faithfulness of God. You want me to preach now or you want me to preach later? I'll preach later. The serpent, verse 1, chapter 3, Genesis. The serpent was the shrewdest. The NIV says the craftiest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say? Never listen to someone who's questioning what God said. Because what God said is forever. Really? Did he really say that you must not eat of the fruit of any kind of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat. God wants you to partake. We must eat. We, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. From We cannot eat. The woman replied, it is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said... I love that she knew what God had said. She was not ignorant to what God had told her. She knew God's promises, yet she fell for the serpent's craftiness. Many of us know what God said, but it doesn't reflect what we do. And my job as your pastor today is to not only expose you to what the enemy will try to get you to do, but to remind you also what God said that is contrary to what the enemy is trying to get you to do. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. See, God doesn't want you to dabble in temptation, flee from temptation. The Bible says to shun even the appearance of evil. What does that mean? Even if nothing is happening, it shouldn't even look like something could happen. He says, don't even touch it, even if you, because I know when you touch it, it'll lead to you trying to eat it. it. You don't eat something without touching it. So if I just tell you not to touch it, you'll never eat it. Does this make sense? Just a precursor, today's sermon is extremely passionate. I'm going hard in the paint. I told the staff last night, I'm going hard in the paint. Pray for your boy. We're going hard in the paint. 
we, 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 we making some U-turns on what culture deems appropriate, and we are, we are taking a stand as to what the Bible says. And hang with me, though. Hang with me till the end. Okay? Just hang with me. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. For the wages of sin are death. That's what the Bible says. You won't die. <laughs> the serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. All they knew was Eden. All they knew was good. All they knew was prosperity. All they knew was lush and lavish. All they knew was communion with God in the cool of the evening. All they knew was relationship and intimacy with the Father. They did not even have any idea of what shame was. They didn't even require clothing to cover up anything that would embarrass them because they did not know what embarrassed them. There was no shame. And so he's convincing them that you will not only know good, but you'll also know evil as well. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. See, she started to look at it. Then she went to grab it, and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some fruit, some of the fruit, and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame. They had never felt shame in their entire life. They had never felt shame. They had never felt disconnection from the Father. They, they had never lived a life apart from God's will. I don't know what that feels like because we were born into sin, but now we have been reconciled. Now we know what that feels like because of Christ Jesus. But for the first time, they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I'd like to preach to you today from the subject, sever the head. Father, we have so much to learn from you about what the enemy's plans are for our life. And we start today off by canceling any distraction that the enemy has designed to keep us from receiving the seed of your word. I pray that it would land on good soil, that our souls would be ready to receive it, that it would enrich our maturity when it comes to our belief and faith in you. And that if there's anyone at the sound of my voice that is apart from you, I pray that they would realize that Christ died for them. Help me preach this, Lord, as you know the weight that it carries on my soul and the weight that it's had on my heart. May it be your words and not my words. I condemn the flesh and I submit to the spirit today. And I pray that you would allow what you have spoken in the word to come fully to pass in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Are you grateful for God's word? Does anyone like to craft? Is anyone good at crafting? I found this on my desk on Easter Sunday. This is what pastor gets on Easter Sunday from people who are gifted. This is a toilet paper roll. And uh, thanks be to God, it will come in handy very soon, I'm sure. This probably started like a bunny, but it won't end. It will go back to its original state very soon, I'm sure. There will be a day when my kid will be like, Dad, I need some toilet paper back here. And I'll be like, I know a bunny <laughs> that can come to your rescue. This is from a lady in our church who loves to craft. She even has a crafting room. I don't even have a crafting room at my house. I have uh, just room for my humans that I made. That's about it rooms to eat uh, a room for my car that my car never goes in because I got too much stuff in the room for my car called the garage but this lady that made this has a crafting room and uh, she 
took us to dinner at her house and with a family, and she had a craft for all the kids. She loved to craft. She had popsicle sticks in abundance, a never-ending supply of popsicle sticks, a never-ending supply of hot glue sticks, a never-ending supply of trinkets and toys and beads and, and everything that you would need to craft. See, the thing about crafting is you use existing materials to create something new. And the devil is very crafty. He doesn't create anything new. He only crafts from materials that he has been exposed to. So we don't have a devil that creates. We have a devil that crafts. He's a crafty. It says that he's the craftiest of them all. Meaning that when I say something with my mouth, the devil can use that against me. He can't create anything, but he can craft a lie by the materials that he has at his disposal. He's extremely crafty. What he'll do is he'll take the popsicle sticks of lies and build a house of cards that you will then call your firm foundation in your identity. And he'll say, did God really say, did God really do? Are you sure? Well, you, you'll be like God if you, if you live in the framework of these lies. And I came to expose the enemy of your life today. I came to dismantle the, the slithering snake, the, the crafty one, the shrewdest of them all. Why? Because he doesn't make himself obvious all the time. He never announces himself. He weasels his way into your everyday life until you have a wedge between you and the Father. He doesn't announce here I am, the devil, Satan, here to destroy your marriage. It starts with just a friendly conversation with your secretary after work. It starts with downloading that one app that you know you shouldn't download. It, it starts with that one beer that you said, I, I would never drink again, but the boys are out, so we're going to do it. He is crafty. He is sly. He does not create. He just crafts lies. And I want to dismantle those lives, lies because when those lies are dismantled, you can live in freedom. Many of you are under the control of the enemy, and I came to break the bondage through the power of the Spirit. The Bible says to love thy enemy, but he also, it also says to resist the enemy. It's very important that we realize the difference. Love those that persecute you. Pray for those that persecute you. But when the devil shows up, flee from that temptation. Do not confuse loving the enemy with loving thy enemy. Now, many of us, uh, we allow Satan in, and it's clothed in, in loving thy enemy. But what you're actually doing is loving the enemy. So be careful who you have close to you because it will attract the wrong result. So I have seven supplies, crafting supplies. These are, these are supplies that we, that we provide the serpent, and he manipulates them to the point of distancing us from God. The first one is this, is worshiping self. He doesn't need you to worship Satan as long as you worship self. As long as you are all that you need, the devil is great because God is, you don't need God. He'll convince you it's your truth. Nobody likes that because it's so, it's so culturally relevant. I'm working on me. I'm me. I'm me. I'm my own man. Find your truth. No, 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 no. The devil has crafted that lie 
for you to no longer reflect glory to God's truth or worship God the Father on the throne. And instead, you've put the mirror towards yourself, and now you are self-glorifying yourself. The devil will, will, he doesn't even need credit. He doesn't even need you to bow down to him as long as you're bowing down to yourself. Because when you bow down to yourself, when it's me, my truth, I'll find my way, I'll do my way, my thing, my way. What, what's New Year, new me? How's y'all's New Year's resolutions doing right about now? Like crunching during the sermon. Summer's coming, Pastor. Is that the Holy Spirit? No, it's my program that I should have got, been on in January. <laughs> Be careful because the enemy will convince you to worship self. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, we got, we got scripture to back up every single lie that the enemy tries to get you to worship. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. It starts with you thinking that you're strong enough. It, start, it starts with you thinking, oh, I don't, I don't need no accountability on my internet activity. I'm strong enough. That's self-worship. Oh, it's okay. I just need, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the bar. I, it's, I'll, I'll be good to drive. I'm good. That's, that's you not relying on God. Instead, that is you con inverting worship towards yourself. The devil loves it when we worship ourselves. The devil would love nothing else than for you to be so built up with pride, with zero humility, that God would get no glory for anything he does in your life. Be careful that you do not fall in love with yourself too much. That you don't fall in love with worshiping self. I am self-made. I'm self-made. My truth. No, no, no. He is the way. He is the truth. No man comes to the Father but through me, through Jesus. It's the moment you think you have done it all, that you have been this, that you are, I am, individualized. We have this individualized culture where it's I am, I am, who I be whoever I want to be. No, you need to be whoever God's called you to be. The enemy has convinced you to be something that you're not because as long as you don't involve God in the process of making you new, then you can be whoever you want to be. And that, my friend, is dangerous because the serpent is shrewd and he's crafty and he's slithering and he didn't announce himself, but it comes through you deconstructing your faith to find your own new truth. Be very careful. Be very, very careful. If you need a pen, there's a pen in the seat behind you to write some, some notes. We worship self. See, pride is a personal problem. It'll start with just a little bit. And then, it, you know, it's interesting. One third of the angels fell with Lucifer whenever God dismissed them from eternal glory. Could you imagine giving up eternal glory for eternal damnation? Many of us do that every single day with the sin that entangles us. And he took a, he convinced one of every three angels to join him. He was very good at what he did. He convinced people to leave the glory of God. A third, one of every three. Be careful. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow. The second one kind of goes with the first one, and there's seven of them, so we're going to be here a bit. Hope you brought some snacks. Um, I love preaching when there's no football games. It's the best. <laughs> That's for me. The second thing is worshiping your own success. So sometimes you don't think that you worship you, but you worship the things that you've accomplished. 
And so your doctorate, your masters, your, your worldly knowledge is nothing compared to spiritual wisdom. Be careful. I'm not saying I'm not discrediting education. I'm not discrediting your, your effort and your attempt to be educated. But be careful that you aren't a self-made person that worships their own success. Because I came to declare that everything in the heavens and the earth belongs to the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There is nothing you've ever done outside of him. He actually created time for you. Every dollar that's ever gone through your bank account and to Wendy's in the drive-thru has come from the Father above. Everything, everything you've ever done, every success, every failure, it's all God-ordained. All those prefixes, I'm doctor, bishop, prophetess, so-and-so, apostle. Your success is only deemed by the Father. All glory to God. All, if I was all about my own success, let me tell you right now how quickly we fall. How quickly we fall to idol worship, thinking that when we accomplish something, it was me that I did that. Be careful, my friends. Be very careful, my friends, to not reflect glory back to God when you succeed. When you succeed and you give glory back to God, he can trust you with more success. But if you're overly satisfied with a little win, then he will never give you a great win. Uh, here, here's what it says in, in Isaiah. I just I want to be very, very careful to preach the Bible today. You will notice there is a lot of verses all over Scripture because it's so evident. It says their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Sounds like America to me. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. Be careful that everything you own and you've made and everything you've studied for and all the, all the promotions you've had and all the, all the zeros in your bank account, if it becomes about you, it can go from you so quickly. My success belongs in the hands of God. My success belongs to the Lord. I, I could easily fall into the trap of looking at how successful this church has become and is becoming, but I would be, I would be falling trapped to the pride that the enemy tries to use to think that we are successful because of something I have done. There is nothing I have done that has allowed the glory of God to rest on this place. At both of our locations, there is nothing that one man has done that has brought forth the revival that we feel. Instead, we give glory back to God who owns the gold, who owns the silver. We do not make any more idols out of anything. Our success belongs to our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for using us. Thank you, Lord, for the success you have given us. Thank you for the battles that we have won. We are not our own. Thank God for every blessing. You didn't, you didn't buy that car. You didn't, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't get that promotion. God gave, God allowed you. God has entrusted you with that car. God has entrusted you with that promotion. God has entrusted you with that business that is successful. If you think for a minute that the success you have is because of something you've done, watch when God removes his hand from it. I've seen it happen in churches all the time. The pastor gets puffed up with pride. He begins to be everything, all things. He'll take the offering. He'll do the baby dedications. He'll play the drums. And it becomes about the success and not about the Savior. I've met people who get their validation from their success and not from their Savior.
and they'll go out and buy a car they can't afford, park it in a garage they can't afford, because the, the perception of success has become their idol. Be careful, because the enemy will use success to get your eyes off the Savior every time. Let me teach for just a minute on this third one. This third one is this, is worship your perceived sexuality. We are living in a time where our perceived sexuality has somehow made its way into God-given biology. And they do not mix. Help me preach this, Father. The enemy will convince you that the way that you feel is the way you should live. And that is a grave sin. Would it be fair to my family if I lived out every feeling that I had in the flesh? Absolutely not. I come under alignment of God's word. I submit to his ways and to his purposes and to his plans. I refuse to allow my feelings to dictate my life. Because if that was the case, I would be doing a lot of things that would not come in alignment with the spirit because I would be worshiping the flesh. It's so important that you realize this because perceived sexuality has crept in. And I'm going to give you verses. And I trust that you receive these verses as words from the Lord. This isn't my opinion. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says in, in Romans 1, 26 through 27, help me, Jesus. For the reason God gave them up to dishonorable, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable, dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with, with the women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Dishonorable. Shameless. The confusion that has set into our culture is, is of grave concern to me. Young people, you were designed and fashioned together in your mother's womb. No one needs to tell you what gender you are or what identity you have or what kind of, what kind of life you need to live. You don't dictate what, how I live. Instead, my, my affirmation comes from the Father. Don't get confused. And don't leave now if you're offended because everyone will know. Wait till another point and then you can get up and leave. That's a church trick just for you. Just deal with the ouch for just a minute and then get up at a later time. You'll be like, it was that point, but I left at the third one because I didn't. That one. Young people, young people, what this world is telling you is optional, is feeling-based. It is not faith-based. It is not in alignment with God's word, and it is dangerous. It is dangerous. The laws that are being changed on behalf of a minority, uh, uh, of a people that say they live based on their feelings, it's, it's unbelievable to me. And we are losing ground for our children. Submit to the will of God that your body is the holy temple. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So guess what? You don't get to decide. You don't get to choose. 
You don't get to choose. Your body is not your own. Oh, I'm preaching way better than the quiet church. Pastor's stepping on my toes a little bit today. Yeah, because I'm tired of seeing generation after generation lose ground on their sexual identity that should only come from God the Father. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a child of God. You're a son of the King. You don't have to bow down to the non-binary, all this free stuff. None of that is important to God. He created you exactly how He designed you to be. Oh, it is so important that our children see men raise up and lead their homes. It is so important that they, they see women rise up and lead their homes. The confusion that the craftiest of all craftiest of devils has set into this culture, it's dangerous. And it's now knocking at our door. It's knocking at our bathroom options. It's knocking at your, your child's education in the public school system. It's knocking at our lawmakers. Door. It's knocking at my, my freedom to be able to decide whose wedding I officiate or I don't. And I, I'm just going to lay it out there right now. There's some non-negotiables that are in Scripture, and you will only find me officiating a marriage that is between a man and a woman. I'm just letting you know where I stand. It's non-negotiable. And it's so important that you not be confused or conflicted. It, I cannot tell you how much culture has confused people these days. It is not okay. If someone was beating their children abusively, and I let it just happen because that's just what everybody else was doing, you'd say, no. You'd say, stop that. You'd say, pastor, you need to correct that. If I found someone at the bar total blackout drunk every single every single Friday night if I found them and I, I found them at the bar and I had to take them home every single Friday night and I gave them no correction only grace and only love and only and only and only God's mercy then I would be doing them a disservice by not actually preaching the truth that they don't have to be reliant on that addiction to alcohol and in the same way you don't have to be reliant on what the world tells you your sexual identity has to be it's perceived identity it's not actual identity it's cultural perception that has come upon the world, and it's creeping into the church, and not in my house. Not in my house. I'm deeply troubled. Tim Keller wrote this this week, and I had to bring it to you. He says, in the Roman Empire, they would say, you Christians are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't honor all deities. There were many gods, and they were saying, no, Jesus is the only God. And the Roman, the Roman, and during the Roman Empire, they were saying, no, 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 we have many gods for many different things. And then here's what happens. Tim Keller writes this, in the modern West in 2021, you Christians are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't honor all identities. Deities from the Roman Empire have become identities in our modern day. Lord, help us love people so well that they would come back to their original design that you created them to be. This is not a, this is not a hate sermon. This is a sermon that I would want for anyone living in any level of confusion of any kind. And if you're, if you're heterosexual and you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you are also, my friend, in sin. If you are married and you are having sex outside of your marriage, you, my friend, are also in sin. 
So do not let the cultural hot topic of gender identity or, or same-sex attraction or same-sex marriage be the only one that gets elevated to the top shelf. We all need some more holiness. We could all use some more righteousness. We could all use some more humility. We could all flee from temptation. So good at pointing fingers, but when it comes back to us, make sure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The next one is, is uh, secrets. He wants you to worship your secrets. He wants you to get so caught up in your mind about the things you've done in your past that you can't even concentrate. That you can only think about that divorce, that first marriage. You can only think about that one time you stole that one thing back when you were a kid. And he will remind you about it right when you go to lift your hands during the bridge of oceans. And say, if they, if they only knew what these hands have done, if they only knew what this mind has thought of this week, if they only knew, they'll try to convince you to be bogged down by your secrets. And it's not, that's not so because the Lord already knows. It says in Psalm 44, 21, it says, would, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. You're not your secret. Your secret's safe with God. This is a place of confession. A place of brutal honesty. A place where you can confess. Are y'all with me still? Yeah. Good. If you were offended by the last one, you could leave it any time now because now people won't know. <laughs> the next one is worship your sickness. Try to get you to live in total defeat. In total defiance of, of, of health that God has for you. I've met people who literally uh, can't function without telling people they're about their sickness. Have you met that person? It, the sky could be as blue as blue and they stub their toe and it's like oh god pastor oh I just went back to the doctor six times today you got a parking spot at your doctor's office with your name on it listen I am not saying that sickness doesn't exist I'm saying sickness does not exist over you at all times here, here's what it says. I'll just give you the word. Psalm 91. I've been praying this all year for your house and my house. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold up you with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And you will trample upon lions and cobras, and you will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Not only will you be healed from sickness, you'll get authority over it. This is important to know because especially in a year like this one, where sickness can become an idol. It can become an idol. I've seen people who, it, it's like, it, it's everything. It, it, you can't have a regular conversation without COVID being mentioned. And it has become your idol. Is it real? Absolutely. Are people dying? Yeah, they did. But here's the deal. It cannot become our idol. If you believe Psalm 91, then your whole life cannot be... I mean, help me, Jesus. I, I had a harder time preaching this in the first service, which requires masks, but this one a little bit, little bit more free. We are going to have to get to a place where it doesn't become our idol. It's not that it's not real. I'm not saying, I'm not denouncing that it's not real. I'm saying it can't consume our minds. We have to say, if, if we do believe in a God that heals, if we do believe that he'll send his angels to protect our home, like, be wise, don't be careless, but you have to step into faith at times too. 
And I'm glad you're here. If you're here, I'm so proud of you. Mask or no mask, I'm so proud of you. I am grateful that you are assuming that God is still on the throne and you're not letting your whole life be consumed by something. And I'll tell you this, we're on our way out of this thing. We're on our way out of this thing. If you've been vaccinated, good for you. Praise God for you. We celebrate that. We're glad that you feel safer. If you're anti-vaxxer, that's cool too. Wherever, I don't care. Just don't make it your idol. Don't make being against the vaccine your idol. I've met those people too. And don't make being, oh, the vaccine your idol either. Be careful that Fauci doesn't become your father. I'm preaching now. If Fauci doesn't say it, it's not the gospel. Well, then you're going to be wearing a mask until Jesus comes back. Two masks. My guy wears two masks, fully vaccinated, two masks. I'm just stating the facts. He wears two masks and he's fully vaccinated. You decide. You just, I'm just saying you just, I'm not against masks. I'm just saying we have a fully vaccinated human who wears two of them. Help me, Jesus. I'm not even mad at him. I'm just exposing to you what will become an idol is your sickness. Your fear of getting a sickness can also become an idol. But my Bible says I can trample on the heads of serpents and I can stand in faith so something's not adding up because do I believe that he can heal or do I not believe that he's the healer? I don't know about you, but I just wanna, I just wanna be free. I know y'all love me. I know you'll come back next week. They'll be back. They'll be back. They'll be back. I'm convincing myself. They'll be back, right, Lord? This is in, your, this is in the Bible, right, God? I just don't want you to worship fear. I don't care what news cycle you listen to. I don't care who you get your information from. Just don't make it your idol. Just don't make it your idol. Just don't make it your idol. The, the next one is uh, worship your shame worship your shame he'll get you to he'll get you to think that you are so so lost so broken so unlovable so unworthy so far from him that you can't even get close to him anymore and the devil will change will change your mind about how you felt about one thing and he will get you to think about one mistake so long that you will live under shame and i want to declare there is no more shame on you shame off of you in jesus name in jesus name As a matter of fact, it says in Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He timestamps it. When is there no longer condemnation? Now. He could have said there is no, there is there, the sentence works without the now. There is therefore no condemnation. It works without the now. But the now is so important for you because you have the condemnation of your then right now. But I want to let you know that right now, there's no more condemnation. So now that there's no more condemnation, you can live freely and boldly and confidently with no shame on your back. I'm free from shame. The enemy tried to use shame. He'll try to use your mistakes in the past. But it says now. When is now? When, when is it? It's right now. At what point did it not be now? It's never not been now. So there's nothing you can do to make it then or when. Because it's now. 
It's very important that he timestamped that. Because we could say, well, once I get my act together, then there will be no condemnation. But he says, therefore, now, now, who are in Christ Jesus, shame is gone. Shame is gone off you now. And the last one, number seven, is we worship our society, our circle, our town, our current relevant culture. First John 2, 15 through 17 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Help me preach. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions. Do not worship what you feel and do not worship what you have. Those are, they make terrible idols. It is not from the Father, but is from the world. I don't know how much more clear we can make it in Scripture. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not sacrifice righteousness on the altar of relevance. I do not want to be a church that sacrifices presence on the altar of programming. I, I, I just... We must repent from the idol of relevance at the expense of our righteousness. If that means I need to put a suit and tie back on, if that means that I need to sit on the platform like they did in the good old days, whatever, I don't need skinny jeans to have the spirit of God in this house. I will not follow trends and make them my idol. I'm not going to go with the flow. What going with the flow gets you is it gets you to, to, to be in alignment with the craftiest of all craftiest instead of in alignment with God's will. We are not of this world. I won't sacrifice conviction for the sake of being cool. I'm not going to do it. We will be a Bible-preaching, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Christ-centered Bible church. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains the same. Is there anything we can rely on in culture? No, it's sifting sand. It's building your house upon the sand. I want my house built upon the rock. If that means I got to... If that means I got to... Delete my, my phone and go to a, a flip phone or one of those Nextel beep beeps that they used to have back in the day. I'll do it. If that may, I'm not here to, for you to like me. I can't make your affirmation my idol. If I do that, I'm only going to preach what makes you comfortable. I'm only going to preach what makes you dig deep down into your pockets. That is a grave sin of many pastors in America today. They've lost the backbone of boldness. They haven't called for holiness, righteousness, repentance, conviction, consecration. Where is the backbone of the people of God? To stand and say, I will submit to the only the authority of God. I will stand on the promises of his word. We must not make, we must not make our idol our society, and it goes both ways. 
Joe Biden did not come to save the world. And Donald Trump is not the Messiah. We have gotten offended by anyone against sin instead of sensitive to everything that is sin. Pastor, that offended me. Well, it's the I'm just reading verses. Like, it's not even my opinion. I didn't even write most of the stuff that I read today. Like, I put the verses in red. Can you zoom in tight? It's like 42 font, right? So I don't mess up. My dyslexia doesn't kick in. The red is verses. I'm not even like, this isn't a manuscript that I came up with. This isn't some blog post or YouTube video that I found, you know, that I just transcribed. I'm just copying and pasting the word of God. And so if anything should offend you, it should be the loving God that sent his son to die for you. And that doesn't seem very offensive to me. That seems loving and caring and confronting for you to not have to be trapped in your sin. I, I preach this way today so that you can understand that God loves you so much. He doesn't want to leave you the way that you are. He don't want to leave you entrapped. And when the shrewd one, when the enemy tries to come against you, he will try to craft a lie about you. He's crafty. He's sneaky. And I want sensitivity to sin to come back. A scholar, I was reading about uh, conviction, and he said conviction is like a three-blade on your heart. It's like a triangle blade. Imagine a triangle blade that spins every time you get convicted. You ever walk by somewhere and you feel, oh, I don't feel that. Or somebody said something that didn't sit right with your spirit. You said, that doesn't sit right with my spirit. Maybe you walked into a, a party or to a room or into an office or you met with someone. You say, that didn't feel right. That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. And this scholar says that every, every time you feel that, the blade turns in your heart. and you get, You're sensitive to it at first. He said, but eventually that blade will start cutting through flesh so much that it'll just start spinning if you don't ask God to soften your heart. And what'll happen is you'll get so accustomed to sin that you lose your conviction. And you'll just, the blade will just spin in your soul and it won't bother you anymore, the language that came out of your children's mouth. It won't bother you anymore, the, 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 the places that you've been frequenting. It won't bother you anymore, the music you've been listening to. It won't bother you anymore, the, the, the stuff you've been watching on television. Why? Because you have conditioned your conviction to disregard things that are not of God. And we all fall subject to this, so we must ask God to soften our hearts again. Like, Lord, reveal to me anything that is not of you. Reveal to us anything that needs to be exposed and cut to our hearts so that we don't live without repentance. Now, I'm going to close with this. John, you could begin to play. We find snakes in this building frequently. Not to scare you. But one Sunday morning, <laughs> my daughter was washing her hands in the women's bathroom. Why could why did it have to be the women's bathroom? Why couldn't it have been the men's bathroom? We can handle that. She said she went to throw the paper towel away in the corner, and on in in the corner by the trash can was a snake. This is fake. Relax. They're like, okay, I'm really out now. Uh, he talked about gender roles and he and he brought the snakes. I'm just trying to get I'm, we need some seats in the second service. I'm just trying to free up some chairs for next week. <laughs> so bro so bro he's like don't do that pastor it's fake it's fake it really is fake in the women's bathroom coiled up in the corner was a snake 
Like two weeks later, no joke, we go to uh, move one of the stanchions, you know, those things that like help you like get in line at the cafe and stuff. And underneath one of those was a coiled up snake as well. In the summertime, they tend to go where it's cool. And in the wintertime, you'll find them where it's hot because they're trying to regulate their temperature. They need a cool place in the summer. They need a warm place in the winter to survive. And I'm just wondering if your lifestyle is conducive to the enemy to where whenever you, whenever you need to adapt your lifestyle, he'll kind of be attracted to that lukewarmness. He'll be attracted to you because you don't, you don't really commit your life to Christ, but you come on a Sunday, you're not really serving, but you, you kind of show up and, you know, he's like, I'm totally cool with you regulating my temperature as long as it's lukewarm. The devil is not something to be played with. He is someone to be dealt with. He is someone to be dealt with. This ain't no game. As real as Jesus is, so is the shrewd one. So is the crafty one. As real as the God we worship is today, the serpent is the craftiest of them all. And he will get you. So what do you do? That was a great sermon, Pastor. Love it. Got me all riled up. Well, first thing is he must be stopped. Behold, I give to you, this is Luke 10, 19, King James Version. I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing, 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 no thing shall by any means hurt you. The first thing you have to do is you have to cancel all the plans that the enemy has against you. So every day in carpool, I cancel the plans against my kindergartner. I cancel the plans against my body. I cancel the plans that my boss has for me through the enemy. I stop the devil first. You have to stop it. You have to vocalize. You have to vocalize in the name of Jesus. I, I rebuke. I stop any plans that the enemy has for me. It first has to be stopped. Second thing is this. It must be stomped. Stomped. Y'all know it's got an M in it. Stomped. It must be stomped. Here, here's, what, here's what it says in Romans 16. I, I love the Bible so much because it's not even like, it's, it's what the Bible says. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I am not uh, happy with just telling the devil to stop. Stop it. Stop it, Satan. No, 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 no. Stop, and I will stomp it too. Now, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I stop at stop, and it comes back. And how many of you ever dealt with a snake before? You can't even stop at stomp. Especially if you don't got no snake boots. When I go to these woods out here, I got snake boots on. Because he got to be stopped and he got to be stomped. And then he also must be severed. It says in Isaiah 27, 1. I love this verse so much. It's such a great way to close the day. In that day, the Lord will take his terrible swift sword and punish Levathion, the swiftly moving serpent, the coiling withering serpent he will kill the dragon of the sea it is not enough to stop it stop 
it is not enough just to stop it. You must cut it head first. Here's why. They came to me and they asked me, Pastor, you want me to release this snake back into the, to the woods? After they found the snake, you know, they got it in a little offering bucket or something. People were like, no, 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 Pastor, I ain't doing that. They got it and they said, you want, me to, you want us to let it go? I said, no, 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 no. You cut that thing off. You cut that thing's head off with a shovel, with a spade. Do not, PETA's, PETA's getting called right now. Pastor kills snakes. You're darn right. Come get me. Not when, not when my daughter was, was in the bathroom with a snake. Not when someone who got here early to sacrifice their time to serve in the church was, you cut the head off that thing so that it can never make a comeback. And some of you need to cut the head off your addiction so it never makes a comeback. Some of you need to cancel your phone plan right now and get yourself a little flip phone so you can't go to those websites anymore. Some of you need to go ahead and change secretaries or ask for a, a lateral move or ask for a demotion because your marriage is not worth the flirting that's taking place behind closed doors. It's not enough to say, oh, we're going to stop. It's not enough just to step on it once. You must sever the head of every sin, of every disease, of every sickness, of every lie. I came to declare to someone today, this thing is not just going to stop. It's not just going to be stopped, but I'm going to sever the head of the enemy. Sickness be gone in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, you better give God some praise. Start worshiping the King of Kings. Start canceling the plan that the enemy has. The devil is under my feet today. Come on, somebody. Would you give God some praise for two seconds that you have the victory, that he's going to cut off the head of the enemy. You are not your own. Thanks again for joining us. And thank you to those who give generously to make the ministry possible. You can click the link in our description to give now or visit givetofocus.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends. And while you're at it, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at MyFocusChurch. We'd love to hear how God is speaking to you.